Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. So if you're listening to this in February, we are currently on week one of the Bootability journey, which is a month-long challenge to chant Nam-myo ho kyo every day for however long you'd like, and it's open to anyone whether you're brand new to chanting or you just want a reason to refresh. Here's how it works. Decide on how many minutes a day you want to chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo and sign up at bootability.org slash journey to receive a daily email from us for the entire month of February of tips, inspiration, and daily action you can take to get the most out of your chanting. If it's already the middle of February, don't worry. You can jump in on any day. Which brings us to today's show. Since so many of you might be chanting for the first time ever, we're going to cover a lot of questions about the basics of Buddhism. I'm speaking with an old friend, Ryan Hayashi, who, like me, started chanting in high school. At the time, he was going through some pretty serious challenges. Now, over 10 years later, he's an amazing high school math teacher in Arizona, and he's also really active in the local Buddhist community there. I recommend listening to this episode all the way through if you're brand new, but if you're not, I would check out the timestamps in the show notes where we've listed all the questions I asked Ryan, ranging from how and why to chant, to how this form of Buddhism is different, to what to do if you don't think that it's working for you. You can look up whichever question you might have and just skip to that. Here's our conversation. Why don't we just start with um, you introducing yourself? Tell me your name. Where where are you calling from today? Um, anything about yourself? Okay, great. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to participate. So yeah, my name is Ryan Hayashi, and I'm joining in today from Chandler, Arizona, uh, where I've been living for the past three years. And I'm working out here as a high school uh, math teacher. So, but yeah, I'm definitely passionate about Buddhism about education, music, hip hop, and nature and many other things. So um, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Um, So I might, you know, uh, rapid fire isn't the right word, but I might just like throw a lot of questions at you. And I know Mm -hmm. that you've been practicing for a while. So for someone who's completely new, can you just walk us through the basics of chanting? Like, what do you chant? When? Where? For how long? Um, yeah, what do I need to know if I want to wake up tomorrow morning and start chanting, you know, practically speaking? Right, yes. So we chant Nam Yo Horenge Kyo, which I'm sure we'll probably go into uh, more detail uh, later, which ultimately uh, is a chant that allows us to manifest or activate our Buddha ability or our Buddha nature, this unlimited positive potential within our life. So practically uh, how to do that, you could find a quiet space or somewhere you could really relax or focus and uh, sit up straight. We chant with our eyes open and just start repeating uh, that chant. You know, nam yo ho renge kyo, nam yo ho renge kyo. And I know uh, the Buddha ability has a lot of videos that kind of walk through different speeds. Um so yes, um, and then at first, I'm sure you may just be getting used to saying the words or pronouncing everything. Uh, but once you get into a rhythm, um, there's various different 
uh, ways that people chant. You know, many times people have a specific goal or target or something they're trying to accomplish or manifest or, or really change about their life. Um, or many times people, you know, just have something simple, just want to feel happier or more hopeful. Um, so I think those would be the kind of key steps in terms of just how to get started chanting. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's easy to visualize how to do that, you know, finding a quiet place um, and just saying it. Um, but we do get the question a lot, like, what do I think about or what's happening in my mind? Am I clearing my head? Am I thinking about something? Is there a right way to do it? So yeah, what should what should we be thinking about, if anything at all? Right, right. So yes, I think, you know, there's various different uh, ways that people chant. Um, you know, sometimes people may have, may have something very specific, you know, specific challenge coming up in their life, whether it's related to health or relationships or career or family. Um, and so they specifically focus on maybe that goal or that victorious outcome, uh, that they're trying to achieve. Um, many times that goal could be something internal, like maybe developing more self-confidence, um, or developing more courage or, uh, or maybe the courage to have a difficult conversation or just some type of internal change. Um, you know, I know I've talked to some people who just started chanting and didn't even have a specific goal in mind, but even after that, you know, we're able to feel more hopeful, more empowered. So I do think, you know, in my experience that it's good to have a spe something specific, like a specific goal or intention or prayer to really focus uh, the chanting. Uh, but even if not, I think that's fine. Um, some people are more visual, so they may even visualize, you know, what um, the outcome they're they're challenging or, or going for. Uh, so there's many different ways to chant. Um, one thing I've heard is to chant naturally. In other words, you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not, but, you know, whether you're suffering or struggling or feeling great or whatever is on your mind or in your heart, you could really bring that to your chanting session and really focus on that um, naturally and honestly uh, as you are. And um, maybe one last thing I'll mention is that, you know, this um, practice and philosophy is really focused on in going through an inner transformation. So whatever that focus or that prayer or intention is, a lot of times I also like to really focus on what can I transform within myself? What can I bring forth within my own life in order to uh, take the action to make that happen? Um, so it's definitely not like we're just hoping or begging or expecting something to just come to us or happen to us, but more of a reflection on ourself and a self-empowerment um, to really be able to uh, make the goal happen. So hmm. those are a couple of thoughts, but I'm sure, you know, people chant in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That's super clear. And that's, um, that's super helpful because I was going to ask another question that we get a lot is, is this the same thing as meditation? Is it different from meditation? So I am sure everyone will answer that in their own way, but curious what, what you'd say to that. Yes. So I do view chanting a little bit different uh, than meditation. I know there are various different spiritual practices, uh, which have different, you know, effects or purposes. Um, I have many friends who, you know, through meditation are able to calm their mind or maybe kind of calm down that, that voice or that over analysis that's constantly running in their mind. Um, so meditation can be, you know, very effective in that in terms of, you know, calming our state of life or, you know, calming our thoughts. 
um, for me, chanting is a much more active spiritual practice in the sense that we're not trying to quiet our mind or necessarily just remove all our thoughts from our mind, but we're actually actively focusing on a goal, a determination, an intention in our prayer. And so in that sense, I personally really enjoy chanting in that I feel that it also helps us really elevate our fundamental state of life. I mean, for me, you know, it's one thing to, you know, quiet our mind or kind of get beyond all the chatter in our mind, but to elevate our fundamental life state or life condition to have a more empowered or higher, you know, perspective or energy or life force to take on life's challenges, I think is um, definitely one of the benefits uh, from chanting in my experience for sure. Mm. Yeah, totally, totally agree. That was really well said actually. Um, because yeah, it's, uh, so many people ask like, how does it work or what happens? Um, and I, I will ask you that, but I, I do really do believe it's so different for everyone. It's hard to be like, this is what you're going to feel <laughs> when you chant. Mm. Um, but for, mm. for me as well, like my favorite, um, how do you say like, the simplest experience of chanting that always helps me be like, oh, this is why I'm chanting or this is why I need to cha uh, chant more is in the evening, like at the end of the day. Of course, in the morning, I love doing it. It really sets you up for the day differently. And we have talked about that a little bit on past episodes. But um, like the difference between an evening when I chant after work and I don't chant after work is so monumental where I'll just be like checked out for the day if I don't chant. But then when I do chant, I'm like suddenly eating a better dinner, like doing things I wasn't going to do that night anyway. It's like I've become like a different mm -hmm. version of myself um, and I don't even have to think about it. So I'm, I'm curious for you um, in those like small little ways, how does chanting make you feel or like how do you personally notice it impacting you in your daily life? Yeah, so I think for me, ch after chanting, I definitely feel a sense of empowerment or energy mm. it's almost like charging up my spiritual batteries um for example there'd be you know so many times where i feel overwhelmed with what i have to do that day or you know something going on in my life or some situation that's difficult to deal with and so you know i'll, I'll chant about it and you know after that chanting session even though that's nothing's really externally changed about my situation. I think the way that I feel about it uh, fund has fundamentally changed or the way that I see it. So not like this overwhelmed or defeated feeling of like, this is so hard, but more of like a courageous, empowered, you know, spirit that I can do this, you know, I can make this happen. Um, and, and sometimes actually, even my perspective will shift. Like I'll be trying to solve something in my life, some problem or don't, won't know what to do to go this way or that way. But through chanting, I can actually maybe get a bright idea or shift my perspective on how I'm viewing the situation. It's almost like tapping like a deeper wisdom to, to see it in a different way. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that makes sense. Um, I know I didn't like send you a question about this or anything, but um, hearing you say that, I wonder, and also knowing that you're a teacher, like, could you share an example? Like, are there, have there been any, I don't know, recent times where y you could sort of feel like the impact of you chanting and maybe how you had to handle school that day or 
decisions you had to make or something like that, just to make it a little more concrete for people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what comes to mind is uh, my first year teaching. And um, like any first year teacher, I was really struggling my first year. And I was also in an environment um, where it was, an, it was like an alternative high school or a credit recovery school of, of a lot of students who really struggled or really had discipline issues. So um, to be honest, it was a pretty challenging environment um, to be in as a first year teacher. And I was really struggling with classroom management. You know, my class was completely out of control. I was, you know, struggling to get anything done or have any type of semblance of, you know, order. And I was really struggling. But, you know, I think once I really started doing my best to chant powerfully, you know, for a victorious class or victorious day, uh, things definitely started to change. Um, And I guess one is that I realized that what was happening in my classroom was a reflection of myself, of what I was doing as a teacher. Um, Before, it was so easy to just say, you know, these kids are just out of control or have no respect. But, you know, the more I started Chen, I, I realized that I actually, you know, part of this is my own lack of having a clear plan or a clear structure or clear procedures. And so it kind of shifted it from being like an external focus to an internal focus. Like what, what am I doing to contribute to this situation and what can I change? That's actually going to, um, you know, really move this in a positive direction. Hmm. And as I started to change that way and chant that way, actually um, the situation got a lot better and, and, and the students really started to, um, to change, you know, based on, on a different classroom environment. And even just the way I felt, you know, going into work. There are many days where I just felt so defeated, like I don't even want to go to work. This is, I don't know if I can even make it to the end of the day. Whereas again, you know, many times, even in that same situation, I would chant powerfully. And then even though it was a difficult situation, I felt, you know what, I'm going to do my best today. You know, I think I can advance even if it's only an inch or, or, or make a little bit of progress. And so you know, it just definitely, I think, empowered me to to have more courage to face and rise to that challenge and and um, and change myself to really change my environment, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it totally does. There's a Buddhist concept that we haven't done too many sort of explainers on, but I think we probably should and will in the future on um, this idea of oneness of self and the environment and how that's the key to everything. So yeah, when you change your environment changes, um, which I just wish everyone in the world thought that way and we would live <laughs> in such a different world. But right. um, but this is actually touching on my next question, which is, um, you know, I know people come to chanting for many different reasons. A lot of the people I've interviewed, for example, just had like an awesome friend who was like, hey, you should chant. And they just thought the friend was really great. And so they were curious. And then there's people who were like really going through a seriously hard time, kind of like when you were 18 and they were, you know, they thought they needed to do something. But then mm-hmm. there are those who aren't exactly sure why they might even need to, you know, incorporate a practice like this. So um, what would you say to someone who's wondering, like, why chant in the first place? What's the point of of having a daily practice of chanting at all? Great question. Yeah, I think, (laughs) yeah, for sure. You know, um, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, 
you know, there's a positive and negative potential in everything in life, including ourself. And so our lives within ourself every day, every moment is this battle between the positive and negative side. Maybe this feeling of like, yes, I can do it. You know, I can make this happen versus like, you know, this defeatism or, you know, beating yourself up or looking down on ourselves or not believing in our potential or, you know, slandering our own life. And so, you know, each one of us goes through that battle in our hearts, you know, moments, every moment of the day, every single day. So another benefit of chanting is that when we chant, we actually actively bring forth that positive aspect of our life, which we call our boot ability. And we minimize or quiet that negative voice in our head, you know, that negative aspect of our life, which is our, you know, that fundamental negativity that drags us down or that limits us. And so that's also why it's a daily practice because every single day that battle goes down in our hearts. So I think that's another aspect of it. Um, you know, of course, you know, many people use this practice to challenge goals and dreams, but even just on a daily basis, being able to bring out our best self, you know, to face each, each day of life, I think, um, is, is definitely valuable. Um, mm. yeah, definitely agree. Um, so since you mentioned it, um, let's talk about what bootability is because obviously, you know, in the history of Buddhism, they weren't using the word bootability. We use it as sort of a uh, you know, another way to say Buddhahood or enlightenment. Um, but to actually understand what that is and what it is that you're tapping into or what this potential is that we say everyone has these, you know, unlimited reserves of um, is a little bit harder to understand. So how would you define what bootability is or what it is that we're trying to tap into? Yeah. So for for me, bootability, in essence, is this you know, most highest empowered, enlightened potential or life state that we all have within us. And according to Buddhism, you know, there's many different life states or life conditions we can be in or go through. For example, um, one is hell, you know, the state of just really being in a state of suffering. Or another is hunger, just be, being driven by desires. Or another is anger. And there's many other life states or life conditions that we can be in. So Buddhahood is one of those life states or life conditions, which is this most powerful, enlightened, the best you, the best you that you could possibly bring forth from your life. Uh, many times people characterize it, you know, by courage. You know, even if you're facing so many struggles in your life, you have the courage to rise to the challenge. Or wisdom, right? Even though maybe facing a very difficult situation, pulling forth this deeper wisdom within our life to really know how to resolve an issue and also compassion to really empathize and care for others. Mm. So for me, it's kind of that, you know, really strengthened, empowered life state that's un, unperturbed, unswayed by anything going on around us. Um, I've also heard it likened to this kind of idea of absolute happiness, this state of strength or happiness that we can build in our life, regardless of anything that's going on in our environment. And I guess the last thing I'll, I'll mention on that is, uh, one time I heard it explained to me or um, related to the analogy of a surfer, hmm. that you know maybe you know these waves are coming, these problems, and the surfer is so scared that he just wants to run away seeing these huge waves. But that if he can actually tap his courage and 
and actually become a stronger, better skilled surfer, that instead of running away from those waves, the surfer will actually um, go directly to the wave. He'll actually embrace that challenge and almost view it as an exciting challenge or a thrill um, to actually be able to, to surf that huge wave. So in the same way to me, that boot ability is really just being able to tap that strength uh, or power within us to face uh, life challenges. Mm, yeah, I, uh, I love that, that way of explaining it. And I love the analogy too, because it's real. <laughs> um, this is so helpful so far. But why don't we talk about um, the history of Buddhism? <laughs> so a lot of, uh, I mean, there are many forms of Buddhism. And, you know, some people may have experience with them. Some of it we kind of see in the media and the movies as characterized a certain kind of way, especially in the West. Um, so how is this form of Buddhism, so SGI Nichiren Buddhism, different from other forms of Buddhism? And if you can kind of explain a little bit of kind of where it came from or um, any like relevant context that might be helpful for people to know who are like totally new to Buddhism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, ultimately Shakyamuni Buddha, um, which is Siddhartha or the historical Buddha, had many different teachings or sutras that he taught throughout his life. And many of these sutras or teachings um, were, you know, designed to maybe address a certain follower, a group of followers, or to lead his, um, you know, disciples on a progression of learning about this, you know, fundamental truth or law of life. So many of those sutras or teachings have a different focus um, or even a different perspective. And, um, you know, after the Buddha's death, those sutras are teaching spread all throughout Asia. Uh, many of the Hinayana or the earlier half of teachings are mainly spread throughout Southeast Asia. And then the Mahayana, which means greater vehicle or, or the, more like the second half or later teachings spread more through China, Korea, and Japan. So the reason that there's a lot of different types of Buddhism or Buddhist schools throughout history is many of these different schools would focus on a certain sutra or a certain teaching or a certain practice and prioritize that. Mm. And so in SGI Nichiren Buddhism, we really focus on the Lotus Sutra, uh, which was taught at the end of the Buddha's life. And the main idea of the Lotus Sutra is that a Buddha is not necessarily like a supernatural being, something that's just beyond ordinary people or like some transcendent God, but it's more that a Buddha is an ordinary human being who's manifested their Buddha nature or their Buddha ability. And then that's something that all people actually have within our life. In other words, the Lotus Sutra, before the Lotus Sutra, there is a huge gap between ordinary people and the Buddha who is viewed as this you know, enlightened being. And that play, you know, is based a lot on the caste system, which existed in India at that time. But with the Lotus Sutra, that hierarchy is completely destroyed. In other words, the idea is that an ordinary person is a Buddha and has that potential. And so um, that's one thing I really like about, you know, SGI Nitra and Buddhism is this idea of equality this idea that we all have that potential within us. And in essence, it's, um, you know, very practical. And maybe the last point um, I'll share on this is, 
you know, many of the different teachings had a different uh, perspective on desires. Mm. The, the earlier half or the earlier teachings, the idea is that, you know, our desires and attachments lead to suffering. So to cut this chain or the cycle of suffering, we really need to eliminate or control our desires and attachments, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, you know, in the, in the latter half, the perspective is actually completely different in, in the later teachings of the Buddha. And there's this principle that earthly desires equal or lead to enlightenment. And so the idea in the latter teachings is that it's not really reasonable to com- try to completely eliminate our desires because many of our desires are integral part of our humanity and our survival, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And even wanting to get rid of desires isn't in itself a desire. So that goal isn't really practical or possible. Instead, the idea is that through pursuing our goals, our desires, and doing our best to do it in a compassionate way that doesn't hurt others, and using those goals and desires as a motivation to polish our life and our humanity and compassion, we can actually accomplish our every goal and desire in the most beautiful way that's harmonious or benefits not only ourselves but the people around us. So to conclude, yeah, I think, you know, that's one thing that's unique about this form of Buddhism. It's very practical and um, it's also really based on equality, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think earthly desires are enlightenment is one of the toughest, most counterintuitive things to wrap your your head around. But I like the way that you explained it Um, because, yeah. like not only can we benefit the people around us but we can also set an example of like what it means to like challenge yourself to do something that's difficult and like win over yourself so that other people can feel like they can do it too which is um why the community is so awesome so that's going to be my next question what's the point of having a community instead of just chanting by yourself because that's a question that comes up a lot too right I do think it is very important to practice in a community for a number of reasons. Um, This goes against kind of the, uh, you know, traditional view of Buddhism depicted in the media, as you mentioned, even in the Western world, you know, where you imagine, you know, maybe a single individual meditating, coming to the state of enlightenment. The image is almost of a very individual or solitary practice, but the reality is that, you know, Buddhism is not really about only focusing on ourself or our own happiness and enlightenment. And the reason is that Shakyamuni Buddha or Siddhartha, you know, in many of his teachings shared that his ultimate goal was the enlightenment or happiness of all humanity. That was his goal. So again, the fundamental goal of the Buddha or the, even the origin of Buddhism itself has to do with working and interacting, engaging with others and working together, you know, for the happiness and enlightenment of all people. Even from its beginning, it was never about, you know, a solitary practice. And, you know, even practically speaking, I think that, you know, practicing, you know, a spiritual practice in a community is extremely important. You know, one is that if I were just doing this on myself, It would be very difficult to continue, very difficult to learn from others. Um, 
But, you know, being in this, you know, organization of people who support each other, who reach out, who chant with each other, who study with each other, you know, chant for each other, you know, that has been such an empowering experience, you know, um, in my life personally. And another reason is that actually, you know, our Buddhist practice has two aspects, which is called our practice for ourself and our practice for others. And actually, both of those are extremely important. And actually, it's almost like a synergy that each one supports the other. In other words, when I practice for myself and accomplish my goals, I can use that to teach and inspire and encourage other people. And the converse is also true that many times when I've been struggling, actually just reaching out or maybe trying to help someone else or step out of my you know, self-centered bubble in many cases, helps me break through those self-limiting self factors, which may be what's holding me back in the first place. Hmm. So in other words, through engaging with others, through engaging with a community, through practicing together, we can actually break out of the shell of our lesser self, which is basically our self-centered self that's only thinking about our own worries. And we can actually develop what's called a greater self, which is, you know, a more expansive life state that's also concerned about others. And that growth process many times is actually what has helped me, you know, break through the various struggles in life. So interacting with others is actually a really key um, aspect of Buddhism. And as a teacher, um, you know, I remember when I was starting to teach, you know, uh, another teacher really shared with me, you know, the best way to learn something is to teach it. And so actually through teaching others, we learn, you know, or deepen our own practice. And as we learn, we can better explain and teach it to others. So really it's two aspects and, and both of them are definitely essential, I would mm. say. Yeah, that's such a great point, actually, that you shared at the end. I'd, I'd never really thought about it that way, but like, let's be real. Like, am I going to just sit by myself and study a bunch of texts and chant? like with my whole heart forever? No, <laughs> but it's right. because I practice with other people. And yeah, we all just also have like those friends that sometimes you don't necessarily know how to encourage them, but you want to see them happy. And so to be able to be like, let's dive into this together. It's just such an amazing way to enrich your friendships too. So I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that you said that. Definitely. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, so then here this is this is a hard one i hope it's not too hard but i i do want to sort of try to bring these two things together for people um so mm -hmm. let me just recap a little bit of what we talked about and you know i think in terms of like the day-to-day -day practice um for people who are new we now know you know we chant nam myoho renge kyo we do it consistently it's great to have goals or intentions or something in your life that you want to change and it's really about this kind of like winning this daily battle between your sort of lesser self and greater self or your positive side and your negative side or whatever you want to call it. Um, but then you also just share that we have this like vibrant community and the the historical Buddha's goal was for everybody to be enlightened. And I want to understand a little bit more how those two things connect. Like how does me waking up in the morning and chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo and like going after my goals really um, make any kind of contribution to this larger project of whether you want to call it world peace or changing the world or improving a community. It's, it seems kind of lofty to be totally frank. So I, I would love to understand a little bit more like how those things connect. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So in other words, how our own kind of personal practice or victory kind of can contribute to this more positive change in. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. Especially uh, just just for context, I think, because so many people maybe feeling some kind of way about their life, but like on the whole are probably not feeling very good about the state of the world. And Mm -hmm. to think that we have like some power to impact it um, is a little bit hard to wrap your mind around, especially like after the events of the last year. So Mm -hmm. that's why I ask if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, You know, ultimately, you know, one idea or principle in Buddhism is this idea that one person can really make a huge impact in their environment. I remember the first time I, I shared this practice with a friend, it was with a friend who was going through severe mental health issues, severe substance abuse issues. And it was really a challenge for him to get through that time. But chanting really actually helped him rise out of that despair and really transform his life. But once he did, actually, that not only impacted him, that brightened you know, the outlook and the future of his entire family. And actually all of his groups of friends who saw him suffering so much during that time saw his transformation as well. And ultimately he went from being in a place where he was on the brink of suicide, you know, and and had many near-death experiences to basically being at a point where he's actually working as a nurse practitioner, supporting other youth who go through mental health and substance abuse issues. Hmm. So, you know, both of those examples, I think, are just examples of the fact that even though it may be difficult to believe, each one of us does have this, you know, network of connections, whether it's in our family, our community, and that when we really win, you know, in our life, when we really stand up and fight for a cause or to make a positive change, that that can really inspire, encourage so many other people and ripple out. So Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, those are really, really great examples, actually. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that actually, that, uh, sets up really well. I think one of the biggest questions that a lot of people who are quite new might have, which is what if I don't see any results? What if I chant for a couple of days and I don't feel any different for someone who's sort of in that very beginning phase of things? Um, what are things that they can do to like really set themselves up well enough to test if the practice works for them? or see how it might affect their life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, that's a great question. I think ultimately there's a couple of points. One is that, you know, Buddhism is very profound and mystic in a sense, but at the same time, it's also based on reason and logic. So in other words, think about it just from like a, you know, everyday perspective. I mean, even something like say, maybe going to the gym, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe someone goes to the gym for a week and they do their best, but say, you know what? I'm not really seeing results. You know, I've done my best, (laughs) right? So ultimately, for example, we're using this example of a gym to see results. One, I think it'd be very important to have like a concrete goal. Like what exactly are you going for? Are you going for strength? Are you trying to lose weight? If so, how much weight? You know, if so, how much strength? Are you focusing on a certain part of your body? So having like a specific goal, again, you can really target your efforts. So mm-hmm. I think that's why, you know, having like a specific goal, even writing it down, intention or prayer is pretty key. 
And the second thing is that it is a practice. It does take effort. And so the great thing is that all the efforts we make is for our own benefit. So again, you know, maybe after a week, that person going to the gym doesn't see results, but they should continue for a second week, third week. And then, you know, I know this is the, uh, you know, 28 day challenge. So please continue to the 28th day. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I've heard people encourage others, you know, even try it for two or three months, you know, mm -hmm. and really, you know, give it, you know, spend some time to really experience the power of this practice. And, um, so I think, you know, one aspect is having a clear focus or target is important to really see those results. And a second is to continue trying it, you know, continue uh, making those efforts, you know, over a period of time to really be able to delve deeper and, uh, you know, see that actual proof. And of course, you know, do every aspect, you know, chant, you could study about it, you can discuss it with others, you know, all of those are very important aspects. And then I guess the last thing I'll mention on that is, you know, the benefit that we experience through our practice, there's actually two types, which is one is conspicuous and the other is called inconspicuous. So conspicuous means it's a very clear benefit. Like you had a goal and you accomplished it. For example, I wanted to get this job and then I got the job. I was hired. It's very clear. So that's one you know, type of benefit we gain through chanting in our practice. But the other is inconspicuous. And that happens over time. It could be something internal, like developing more strength as a human being. Or, you know, over time, developing this stronger sense of happiness or a sense of mission of what you really want to accomplish in life. Or maybe self-confidence, you know. And all those things are things that no amount of money could buy. Money can't buy you self-confidence. Money can't buy you happiness. And money cannot buy you inner strength. Those are all things that we develop, you know, through our own efforts. So over time, and it's, you know, that inconspicuous benefit happens over time. It's like the growth of a tree, right? You come back a week later, you know, that tree may look exactly the same. But if you come back in a year or five years or 10 years, it's going to look very different. It's going to have grown a lot. So as we practice, we also go through this longer term inconspicuous benefit within our life. And for me, you know, even though this practice has helped me, you know, not go to jail or go to college, get a full ride scholarship or a relationship or purchase, you know, even material things like a home or a car or get an amazing job. You know, those are all conspicuous benefits. But when I look back on my practice, I really feel that the inconspicuous benefits is actually the, the most valuable thing. You know, having more self-confidence in myself, more strength to find, fight life's challenges, you know, more of a sense of mission of, you know, of what I really want to, you know, being clear on what I really want to accomplish in this life. Those are all things that happen over time. So, of course, you know, as you start to chant, you will see concrete and conspicuous results. But also know that as you continue over time, you'll really be developing the core of your life on a really profound level. And like anything else, that does not happen overnight. It happens over time based on efforts. But as you make those efforts, you could really experience a profound, something profound sh shift or change in your life. Mm. Yeah, that's so clear. And I love that you said core of your life because I was literally visualizing like like people get that you need to develop physical core strength as the foundation for most 
physical goals you might have, you know, whether it's health or it's fitness or whatever it might be, but we never talk about sort of your your emotional or spiritual core as a human being. Like how solid are you? How easily swayed are you, you know, by negative or positive things, all of that. So um yeah, I, I love I love that you put it that way and I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. Ryan, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. I really hope um, it's helpful to everybody that is listening. I'm sure that it really will be. And then we'll start getting even more questions <laughs> that we can answer. No, thank you so much for the opportunity, Jihi. And uh, thank you to everyone out there listening uh, for tuning in. And I uh, just wish you the best on your bootability uh, challenge in February. And I think that's you know one really great thing about this practice is it's very experiential. You can almost treat it like a science experiment, right? (laughs) You make the cause and you just see the effect. You see what happens. And so I wish you all the best on your uh, 28-day Buddhability challenge. You know, please, you know, come up with some goals, intentions, prayers. It could be anything, even if it seems impossible or big. Or it could be something small, it could be something external you want to change in your environment, or it could be something internal that you want to change in yourself, you know, make it clear, write it down on a piece of paper, you know, and just put it to the test. That's a great thing about this practice is you can put it to the test and see the actual results. And if, if you don't see any results, you know, like if you go to your gym for a month or two or three months and, and you're not seeing any results, then, then you can maybe you know, try another gym. But ultimately, the great thing about this practice is I'm sure that you will see something change in your life, in your environment, in the way you feel, the way you think. Something will definitely shift. So please put it to the test. Experience it. It's very experiential. Treat it like a science experiment. And yeah, please let us know how it goes for you. We're looking forward to hearing everyone's experiences. So we hope this episode was helpful, and if you haven't already done so, you can sign up at bootability.org journey for daily emails during the month of February with lots more inspiration and daily prompts. If you're listening to this after February, you can still sign up for our newsletter on the site for a weekly dose of inspiration. And if you have questions, you can send us an email or a voice memo anytime at podcast at sgi-usa.org. If you are doing the journey this month, you can share about it using the hashtag bootability. In the meantime, enjoy chanting and we'll see you next week.